For what do I have if I don't have you, Jesus? What in this life could mean anymore? You are my rock. You are my glory. Hi and welcome to The Rock Podcast. In today's teaching, Jesus will return to his hometown of Nazareth with the power and authority to bring life-changing miracles to those who are open and willing to believe. So let's join Pastor Jim now with a message entitled, Don't Miss Out. Now, have you ever missed out on a great opportunity? It can be a real bummer. John Greenleaf Whittier said this, of all sad words of tongue and pen, the saddest are these it might have been. I read the story of a man who back in the year 2000 had the opportunity to invest in Google. Invest $1 million and receive 20% of the company. He said, no thank you. That's a bad investment, and the opportunity is too small for us. Today, Google is estimated to be worth hundreds of billions of dollars. He probably wishes he could go back because he realizes that he missed out on a great opportunity, and that's all because he refused to believe what Google's founders were saying. Now, I bring this up because in today's text, Jesus is going to visit his hometown of Nazareth with the power and the authority to bring life-changing miracles to those who were open and willing to believe. But sadly, because of the unbelief of the Nazarenes, they miss out on this great opportunity. My hope and prayer for you and I is that we would realize that Jesus wants to bring miracles into our life today. And not only that, he also wants to use us to bring miracles into the lives of others. And that's something that we don't want to miss out on. So Mark's Gospel, chapter 6, and we'll begin with verses 1 through 6. Jesus left there and went to his hometown, accompanied by his disciples, When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard Jesus were amazed. Where did this man get all these things, they asked? What's this wisdom that has been given him that he even does miracles? Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offense at Jesus. Jesus said to them, only in his hometown, among his relatives, And in his own house is a prophet without honor. He could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. And he was amazed at their lack of faith. So let's pause right there and talk first about how Jesus doesn't want us to miss out on miracles. So Jesus is going to his hometown of Nazareth with his disciples, and I think it's extremely important for us to remember that Jesus was not born in Nazareth. He was born actually in the town of Bethlehem, just like the prophet Micah foretold in chapter 5 and verse 2 of his book. Shortly after being born, Jesus and his family had to flee down to Egypt, though, because of King Herod. You see, King Herod had heard that Jesus was to be the future king of Israel, and Herod was jealous and wanted to protect his throne, 
And so he put a hit out on the head of Jesus Christ. And so his family, Jesus' family, fled down to Egypt until the death of Herod. After that, they returned to the land of Israel and settled in the north, in the region of Galilee, and in particular, the town of Nazareth. Now, Nazareth uh, was a place that was uh, not highly thought of, carrying with it the reputation of producing lowlifes and nobodies. You remember in John chapter 1, um, Philip, he got all excited because he met Jesus. And so he runs to Nathaniel and he says, hey, bro, check it out. We found the one that Moses wrote about in the law, Jesus of Nazareth. And Nathaniel, his answer is classic. He says, Nazareth, can anything good come from there? So definitely a town with a stigma and with a mark of disgrace, but Jesus was going to change all of that. Jesus was going to put Nazareth on the map. On the map. Nazareth was going to be responsible for producing the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and the ruler of Israel. So Nazareth, his hometown, it's where he played in the streets with the village kids. He would have built forts in the caves there in the hills. It's the place where Jesus went to school. It's the place where Jesus went to synagogue. And so Jesus is coming to his hometown, no doubt, taking a trip down memory lane. There really is no place like home, especially for those who have left and are now returning. You know, I grew up for the first 10 years of my life in the Pinecrest Lake area. It's four hours east of here in the Sierra Nevada mountains, 5,000 feet of elevation, cold, snowy winters, four to five feet of snow, hot, dry summers. The pine trees everywhere, it's glorious, perfect for climbing for little boys. The lake there is, is warm. It's like getting into a bath, fishing. There's frogs, there's lizards. I mean, everything that a young boy could dream of. Well, recently, my family and the young adults group went back there on our retreat. And for me, it was special because it's, I was returning to my own hometown. The smell of the forest floor alone brought back memories. I was telling my wife the whole time, you smell that, you smell that, because it just, it's what I grew up smelling. Climbing those trees, the frogs, I saw a sign that said, home of the bullfrog jump. It brought back all of these memories of me hunting for frogs with my fishing pole, seeing the lizards scatter everywhere, going to Pinecrest Lake, going around on the boat, exploring the different places that I used to swim, the, the rock cliffs that I used to jump off as a kid, going to the snack shack with my kiddos and buying a $3 ice cream cone. It all, it was very special. So Jesus returns to his own hometown, to the place of fond memories, to the place that he loved, and to the people that he deeply cares for. And our text says that when the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue. Now, the Sabbath was the Jewish day of corporate worship, and the synagogue was the place that the people assembled. It was their church building, kind of like our church building here today. And Jesus was the visiting rabbi. He was the guest speaker, kind of like I am today. Now, the way that these folks, that the, the way the crowd, the congregation, reacts to Jesus' 
preaching, to Jesus' message, I wouldn't wish that on any pastor or teacher, but only upon those who preach a false gospel because Jesus gets a bad reaction from the crowd. You see, any preachers or Bible teachers or even guest speakers' worst nightmare is this, to get a bad reaction from the crowd. Or even worse than that, the crowd doesn't respond at all. Last year, we started doing our revival in the squares where we would go to downtown Santa Rosa Courthouse Square. We would take it over. Many of you served at those outreaches. We would ha- it's like an outdoor church service. We would have a big old barbecue, invite the community, bring Nick and the band out, have live worship music, and the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, my friend Chris and I began to talk about this, and we considered doing an altar call, giving people an opportunity to respond, but we didn't want to do the normal altar call where you just have the people raise their hands. We wanted to challenge the people to step forward, to come forward, to get up out of their chairs, and to come before the stage. It sounded like a great idea, except for the fact that it was also terrifying, because we were discussing what would happen if nobody responded at all. How would we feel? How would we look? It was, it, the anxiety was tangible. I'm gonna feel dumb. I'm gonna feel like an idiot. I'm up there preaching. I'm asking people to come forward and everybody just sits in their chair. What if, what if, what if? It's a preacher's and a Bible teacher's and really any public speaker's worst nightmare is to get a bad reaction or no reaction from the crowd whatsoever. Thankfully, people did come forward at that outreach. (laughs) Now, there are plenty of times wherein people don't respond because of the speaker. You know, he's not prepared, disorganized, not clear, off topic, and so the people are lost and they are confused. And hopefully that's not how you're feeling right now. (laughs) So there are times where people don't respond because of the speaker, but there are also plenty plenty of times wherein nothing happens because of the crowd that's listening. The content is great. Uh, The the speaker is prepared and organized and clear, uh, but the crowd has no pulse. The The crowd flatlines, and that's because they're not prepared to respond to God's message, not prepared to to listen with their hearts, not prepared to receive, not prepared to respond and to apply God's word to their heart and lives. And that's exactly what's going on here in our text. You see, Jesus is the best preacher and teacher that the world has ever known or seen. He was always prepared, always organized, always clear, and his content was 100% pure grade, unadulterated word of the living God. He only spoke the words that God the Father gave to him. And on top of all of that, Jesus was anointed with the fullness of the Holy Spirit and his power. There was no teacher ever like Jesus Christ. I I grabbed a couple testimonies from from the New Testament of, of of people speaking about Jesus and his teaching ability. Uh, John chapter seven and verse 46, never a man spoke like this before. 
Never a man spoke like this before. And then Luke chapter four and verse 22, all spoke well of Jesus and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. You see, these testimonies are saying that Jesus is by far the best preacher and the most sincere teacher that the world has ever known or ever seen or ever heard. But what we don't see with the people of Nazareth is them responding. And that has nothing to do with Jesus and everything to do with the heart of the people. I think you and I need to be careful when we're the crowd, when we're the ones listening, We need to be careful when we come to church week after week and service after service, careful to be prepared to respond to God's message, prepared to listen, not just with our ears, but to listen with our hearts to what God has for us. Coming to church with expectations that that God knows what's going on in my life today, and he wants to speak to me. He wants to say something specifically to me. He wants to comfort me or encourage me or correct me or build me up, inspire me, give me some passion. So coming to church with those expectations, coming prepared to receive from God and then respond to God and then apply God's word into our hearts and into our lives. Jesus in Mark chapter four talks about the parable of the soils, the farmer's going out and he's casting all of these seeds on, the, on these different soils. And he explains what the seed is. The seed is the word of God and the soil represents different people's response to the word of God. And so he talks about one particular person hearing the word of God, but you know they don't really understand it. They're not really paying attention. And so they get nothing out of it. And there's no fruit that comes from that person's life. Then he describes another person who hears the word of God and and they're really excited. They're really excited about the sermon. They really enjoyed the sermons, but it was just too difficult for them to apply, too difficult for them to respond to, so there's no fruit in their life. And then he talks about the other person who hears the word of God. And, and, And like the person before, they're excited They like the sermon, they like the message, but they're just too distracted with life. There's too many other things that are taking the preeminence in their life, and so they're not applying God's word. They're not responding to God's word in their life, and so they don't have any fruit. But then Jesus talks about the person who comes ready to listen, comes with expectation that God's gonna speak to me today. He has something for me today. It's called the good soil. Jesus says, oh, that person is going to bear fruit, 30, 60, and even 100-fold. And so I think that when we are the crowd, when we are the ones who are listening, we need to be prepared to respond and to receive from God. Because if we don't, we're going to be the ones who miss out. Now, check out the response of the Nazarenes uh, to the best teacher ever. Our text says that they were offended at Jesus because of the wisdom that he possessed and his ability to perform miracles. You see, they thought they knew who Jesus was. Oh, he's just a carpenter. He's just a simple craftsman. Oh, he's just Mary's son, the guy with four bros and just a few sisters. You see, they weren't willing to accept that Jesus was more than what they'd grown up believing about him. 
They weren't willing to accept that Jesus was more than a carpenter, more than that not only could he build a house with his powerful hands, but that he could also build our lives with his powerful word. They weren't willing to to accept that not only could Jesus take a formless and ugly piece of wood or stone and turn it into something beautiful, but that he could also take our lives and build them into something magnificent. You see, the carpenter and the craftsman of Nazareth is also the carpenter and the craftsman of the universe. And the son of Mary really is the son of the living God. And so their response to Jesus is so sad. You guys have heard of those small towns that end up producing someone who's a world shaker, a world changer, or someone famous. I was talking to my buddy Seth a while back, and he was telling me about his town of Turlock, which is in the Central Valley, 69,000 people, an agricultural town, that's all it's known for, until they produced Colin Kaepernick, the superstar quarterback of the future 2016 Super Bowl champion, San Francisco 49ers. <laughs> he was telling me that, you know, you go to Mr. Pickles for a sandwich and they've got Colin's jersey there on the wall. They're proud of him. They want to honor the one who has put them on the map. I was reading more about it, and the barbershop guy, he's got Colin Kaepernick's jersey on the wall. There are different restaurants in that town uh, where you can order an entree that's named after Colin Kaepernick. That's pretty cool. And so, I mean, it's just so sad. I mean, we get it. The small towns, they're honoring those who have put them on the map, those who are going out as world changers. But this town, Nazareth, They're not honoring the one who put them on the map, who put them on the radar, who put them right in the sight of Almighty God. Now, Jesus, if you have trusted in him, he has moved into your heart. John chapter 14, Jesus talks about those who trust in him, that he and the Father, they come to live inside of us. They move in. Our heart then becomes their home. And may we not follow the example of the Nazarenes and dishonor the one who is at home in our heart. But may we follow the example of those in Turlock who are honoring Colin Kaepernick. We have someone so much greater than him, and that is Jesus Christ, the one who has put us right in the sight of God. May everything we do bring honor and glory to him. Now, the text goes on to say that Jesus couldn't do any miracles there because of their unbelief. He couldn't do any miracles because of their unbelief. Pastor David Guzik, a pastor down in Southern California uh, that Pastor Ross quotes all the time, says this, and I quote, God may work with no belief, but not with unbelief. God may work with no belief, but not with unbelief. Those who harbor unbelief in their hearts are the ones who are truly going to miss out. Now, You can find unbelief, obviously, in the life of someone who's not a Christian, and that would sound something like this. Jesus isn't anything other than who I say he is. Jesus isn't anything other than who I believe he is. Who cares what who he says he is or who he proves he is? Jesus isn't anything other than a good teacher or a great spiritual leader, and that's final. That's how it sounds in the life of someone who isn't saved. But I also believe that unbelief can be found in the life of a Christian. 
And it might sound something like this. Jesus can't do anything other than what I say he can do. He can't do anything other than what I believe he can do. Forget what he says he can do. Forget what he proves he can do. My circumstances are different. My situation's different. This is beyond God. I've tried, I've prayed. There's nothing, he's not answering. So Jesus can't do anything other than what I say he can do, anything other than what I prove he can do. You see, unbelief hindered the Nazarenes and it hinders us from coming to Jesus with our stuff and with our problems and with our circumstances and with the things that are beyond our control. And if we harbor that unbelief in our heart, then we'll never come to him. And that prevents him from working miracles in our life. And we are the ones who end up missing out. Now, a miracle is something that is not explained by natural or scientific laws. Really, anything that's beyond your control qualifies for a miracle. If you can't control it, then it's miracle territory, ladies and gentlemen, okay? It's really an opportunity. A miracle is just an opportunity for God to show up and to show off and to flex his spiritual muscles in your life. It's an opportunity for him to be glorified and for you to be wowed and amazed. Now, some of us in this room, we have sin issues that we've been struggling with for a long time, things that we've been bound to, and it just feels like you're never gonna break free from this particular sin. And you've been dealing with the shame and the pain and all of the consequences and you've kind of given up. You've thrown in the towel because you think nothing's ever gonna happen. This is just my life. This is how things are for me. That does not have to be a reality for you anymore. That is miracle territory. If it is beyond your control, God wants to show up and show off and set you free. You might be saying, well, you know, I've prayed, I've asked the Lord to, to, to take this away from me, but nothing's happened. Listen, some miracles, they happen instantaneously, but some miracles unfold over the course of time. You can't give up. Jesus wants to work in, on your behalf. He wants to deliver you and set you free. And so you come to him and you keep bringing those things to him. Now, some of us have major relational problems in our life, people that we just don't get along with anymore. We can't see eye to eye. Maybe you've given up on your marriage or you've given up on your family or whatever it is. You just feel like there's no hope of reconciliation and you've kind of tossed in the towel. Well, there's nothing I can do about it anyway, so who cares? Listen, there is someone who can do something about it, and that is Jesus Christ. If God was able to reconcile us to one another, sinners to the holy God, if he was able to bring us together, then he certainly can reconcile your broken relationship. It's miracle territory. It qualifies. If it's out of your control, it's in his control, and he can do something about it. Some of us have circumstantial issues that are beyond our, our control, financial struggles and problems. We're not sure how we're gonna pay the bills how we're gonna pay the mortgage. We're not sure what we're gonna do, how we're gonna feed the kids. And we're struggling and we're overwhelmed and we're just wondering if God's going to come through. He is. One of my favorite stories that I tell all the time is uh, a story having to do with my family. A few years back, we were coming back from the Bay Area 
on Highway 101 North, coming through Novato in our little red Chevy Avail. And it's 11 o'clock at night, and I've got my three kiddos in the back all passed out, and my wife in the front seat. And all of a sudden, I hear a monster in my engine. It's the, it's the breaking of metal. It sounds like it's exploding. And within a minute or so, the car just breaks down on the freeway. So we're kind of trapped there, and I'm thinking, great. So my buddy comes and rescues us, and I have a mechanic come out and take a look at the car, and he tells me the car is done. There's nothing you can do for the car. Let it go. It's not worth fixing. And so I was like, okay. My wife and I began to discuss what we were going to do. You know, how are we going to solve this problem? Because we have places to go, uh, people to see. I've got work. We've got three kids. They've got to get to school. It was a long walk to the grocery store. And when you've got five people to feed, I mean, that's a lot of groceries. So we definitely needed a vehicle. And so I came up with the idea, well, we can go down to the dealership and buy a car right now. Sure, we'll have payments, but, you know, we need a vehicle. And so we continued to discuss this, and we decided that we should pray, finally. <laughs> Pray and ask for God to do, to do something. I think that was my wife's idea. She has all the good ideas in the family. So we prayed and we, we asked the Lord. Uh, we just committed it to him. And we said, Lord, we're praying for a miracle. We have this option. We could just go down to the dealership and, and take out a loan and get the car. But we want to give a little room just in case you want to do something mighty. And so we said, Amen. And then we just decided to wait a few days. Well, within a few days, we got a phone call from a couple friends who found out about our situation. And they just so happened to have an extra car that they never, ever used. And they wanted to give it to us free of charge. No strings attached. Here's a car. You can have it. We know you have a family. We know you got places to go and, and people to see. And I was so excited. I was jumping around like a, lay, a lame man who just got his legs back for the first time. But that's not the end of the story. You see, a couple weeks later, there was another family who found out about our situation. And they heard that we only had one car. And they said, that's unacceptable. You got a family of five. You need to have two cars. And so they called us up and they offered us the vehicle. And I was blown away. God, a simple prayer you know, for you, to give you room to work. And you came through with two cars for us. This, uh, this is more than I can handle. Well, it doesn't stop there. So about a month later, I get a call from a good friend of mine, been friends with him for about six years, and he's a rich man, lives down in Marin, and he was kind of going through a midlife crisis, and he was getting rid of all of his stuff, everything. And he told me that uh, he tried to give away his 2007 Toyota Prius to his son, but his son didn't want it. And so it was too much of a hassle for him to sell it, you know, he had to post it on Craigslist. He didn't really want to go through all that, and he really appreciated me as a friend, so he wanted to give me his 2007 Toyota Prius. And I was like, sure, I'll be right over. <laughs> uh, the point I'm trying to make is that God wants to show off his power and his glory in your life. But you have to be open and willing to, to believe him, to believe that he wants to come through and show off in your life. Because if you don't, uh, then nothing's ever going to happen and you would really miss out. Now, the Nazarenes, it says that uh, they amazed Jesus. And that really only happens twice in the Bible. First, it happens here in our text. They were, Jesus was amazed. He was blown away at their lack of faith, that they didn't believe his word. He couldn't believe it. After all he's done, 
the people still refused to believe his word. So here's the first uh, case of that happening. And then the second time it happens is in Matthew chapter eight. Jesus is amazed at a man who simply takes him at his word. And so the two things that amaze Jesus in the scripture are those who refuse to take him at his word. He's like, I can't believe that. That's unbelievable. And then those who take him at his word. He's knocked out of his chair. Wow, there's a guy, there's a gal who just believes my word. That puts a smile on the Savior's heart. Now, each and every single day, you're in one of those two camps. You're either amazing Jesus by your faith and your trust and your obedience to his word, or you're amazing him by your lack of faith and lack of obedience and lack of trust in his word, considering all that he has done for you. You see, miracles, they start with a step of faith towards Jesus. He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 7 says, cast your cares upon God because he cares for you. You see, God wants to work in your life. He is interested in the things that are beyond your control, but you've got to give him room to work. You've got to give him the opportunity to work. So let's move on and look at verses 6b down through 13. Then Jesus went around teaching from village to village. Calling the 12 to him, he sent them out two by two and gave them authority over evil spirits. These were his instructions. Take nothing for the journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in your belts. Wear sandals, but not an extra tunic. Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you leave that town. And if any place will not welcome you or listen to you, shake the dust off your feet when you leave as a testimony against them. They went out and they preached that people should repent. They drove out many demons and anointed many sick people with oil and healed them. So we talked first about how Jesus doesn't want us to miss out on miracles. Now let's talk about how Jesus wants to use you to bring miracles into the lives of other people. So Jesus sends out these 12 apostles and they're gonna preach about the miracle of salvation, which is the greatest miracle of all. They're gonna cast out some demons and they're going to heal a few people from sickness. I was talking to our pastor about this particular passage and he was telling me that all of the miracles that Jesus performed really illustrate the greatness of salvation and what Jesus Christ has done for you and for me. And so when Jesus opens the ear of the deaf man, what's the first thing that deaf man hears? He hears the voice of Jesus Christ, who is the word of God. And so it's a picture of how God opens the ears of our hearts to hear his spirit speaking through his word. When Jesus opens the eyes of the blind, what is the first thing the blind man sees? The face of the son of God. And so it's a picture of how those who trust in Jesus, God gives us the ability to see the glory of God in the face of Christ Jesus. When Jesus looses the tongue of the mute, it's a picture of how he's opened our mouths to do what we were born again to do, and that is declare the praises of him who has called us out of darkness into his glorious light. When Jesus heals the lame man, it's a picture of how he has healed us who were spiritually paralyzed, unable to walk by God. He's given us life and the ability to walk by faith. 
And when Jesus raises the dead, it's a picture of how he's caused us who were once dead in our trespasses and sins, how he has raised us up with Christ Jesus and has promised to give us a brand new glorified and resurrected body. So all miracles really illustrate the greatness of salvation. Now these guys, they did some incredible miracles and great exploits for God. I mean, healing people and casting out demons, that's pretty cool stuff. But I think the coolest thing that these guys did was to go out and to preach the word of God. These guys planted churches all over the world, and those churches faithfully taught the word of God. And as the word of God was taught, people were coming, people were getting saved, lives were being changed, and the world was being impacted. And so the greatest exploit that these men did was to simply go out and to preach the word of God. Now, you might be thinking, well, of course these guys did great exploits for God, They're the apostles of Jesus Christ. They spent three and a half years with him. They saw him face to face. They heard his word. Of course they did great exploits for God. Well, I wanna say this to you, ladies and gentlemen. I believe that Jesus Christ wants to do the same thing with your life today. He wants to use you to do great things for God in our community, in our state, in our country, and even in the world. You see, Jesus has given to you and me the same mission that he gave to the guys back then. Mark chapter 16 and verse 15, Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. So he's given us the same mission that he gave to them. And the mission is this, go out and tell people the good news about me. So we have the same mission and we also have the same Holy Spirit, the third person of the Godhead. He lives in us just like he lived in them. The same Holy Spirit, the same mission. You see, Jesus wants to use us just like he used them to make a difference in our world today. Now, Jesus gives a a few exhortations in our text that prepares these guys uh, to bring miracles into the lives of other people. And I believe these exhortations are uh, encouraging and edifying for us today as well who wanna reach our community. The first exhortation that Jesus gives is that we should work together to reach our community. So he sends these guys out two by two. It is impossible to reach the world With the gospel of Jesus Christ alone, we have to work together. This is why I think the local church is so important and why it's so important for us to attend church on a regular basis. Because you come to church week after week and Pastor Ross preaches and teaches the word of God and you're encouraged, you're built up, you're edified, you're inspired, your passion turns into a flame and then you go out as Ephesians chapter four and you do the work of the ministry. You see, it's really the people of God, the congregation, they're the ones who are doing, you're the ones who are doing the work of the ministry. You come in for the purpose of being built up so that you could go out and reach the community. It's a partnership, we're working together, so important. And I believe our church is doing that well. So that's the first exhortation, to work together. The second exhortation is to keep it simple 
to keep it simple. Don't overcomplicate things. So Jesus just sends the guys out. He says, hey, just take a staff, take your walking stick, and just take a pair of sandals. That's all you need. You don't need to bring your suitcase. You don't need to bring your debit card and a wad of money. Just keep it simple. Don't overcomplicate the gospel. It's a simple thing. It's a simple message. You know, some of the greatest experiences that I've had in partnering in the Great Commission have started simply. A few guys and myself, we started going down to Juilliard Park a few years ago with a simple vision of talking to the, drug, the druggies that lived down in the park, that hung out, young adults and high schoolers. They just hung out there all day long, just doing nothing. And we thought, man, we should just go down there and talk to them. They're our age, and, and they don't know the Lord, so let's introduce them to Jesus. So we started going down there, and after a while, we got the idea, hey, let's, let's buy these guys lunch. Let's have lunch with these guys. And so we started bringing down Domino's pizza and a bunch of soda, and we would have them all sit down in groups, just like Jesus did when he fed the multitudes. Everyone would sit down, and then we would share a message with them, and then we would share some pizza together and build relationships as we told them about our Savior, Jesus Christ. Well, through that, we met a kid who had this dream. He had this like lifelong dream. And his dream was that he could have a pancake breakfast for him and all of his friends. It's been something he's always wanted to do, where they get together and they have pancakes. I don't know why he had this dream, but it, he told me about it. And so we got to talking, David and myself, and we thought, man, this could be a great opportunity. What if we host their pancake breakfast? And so we went to the kid and we said, look, here, here's the deal, bro. We love your dream of a pancake breakfast and we wanna make your dreams come true. So here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna fund your pancake breakfast. We're gonna supply everything you need, all of the food. We're gonna bring the griddle. We're gonna get the propane permit. We're gonna bring people who are gonna serve. All you have to do is invite every single person that you know and give us the opportunity to share Jesus. And he thought, wow, that's a, great that's a great idea. And so we planned that. And the first time we did it was in, on Thanksgiving Day of 2013. It was our first ever outreach in Courthouse Square. And from that, it is, has evolved into revival in the square, where we have our band out there and we have uh, the preaching of God's word and we have the big barbecue. It's pretty cool because uh, at one of the revival in the squares last year, there was a young man who responded to the altar call. There was a young man who rededicated his heart to the Lord, and his name is Michael. He's one of my best friends. He's here at the church today. He's one of the young adults. He responded, and Jesus has changed his life, and he's been a part of our church ever since. And that all started with simply just going down with the vision to talk to people about Jesus. You see, we need to keep it simple. You never know how, how a simple prayer for someone can radically change their life and radically change their destiny. How a simple invitation to a church event, to a church service, can change someone's entire trajectory from hell to heaven. We need to keep it simple, says Jesus. The third exhortation is just to be prepared for rejection. Be prepared for rejection. Not everybody is going to respond favorably to the gospel. It just comes with the territory. It's part of the package. Jesus was rejected all of the time. 
That's the reason that he was ultimately crucified by the people, because they rejected him. In the book of Acts, we read about how after Jesus rose from the dead and ascended to heaven, that there was only 120 disciples there. After Jesus had preached to thousands and thousands of people and done all of those miracles, there was only 120 who had fully committed all of their heart and lives to Jesus Christ. I think of Noah, a man in the hall of faith who preached for who knows how many years as he, as he built that giant boat. But how many people responded? Just his family. And so we need to be prepared to be rejected. That's just, that's just part of the deal. You see, our job is to deliver the good news. We deliver the package. And then the people have to choose for themselves. It's in their hands. It's in their court. They make the decision. We just give it over to God. We do our part. We share, we love, and we leave the rest with the Lord. And then we need to understand the goal. The fourth exhortation is to understand the goal. And the goal is salvation. That's what we're about. That's what we're after. The guys went out and they preached repentance. They preached repentance that people would change their mind, change their direction, and begin to follow Jesus Christ. You see, they cast out demons and that's great. And they healed sick people and that's great. But people can go to hell demon-free. And people can go to hell perfectly healthy. You see, what needs to be preached is the cross of Jesus Christ. That Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins and that he was buried and three days later he rose from the dead and that through simple faith in him you can have eternal life and forgiveness. That's the goal. That's the message that we are to take to the world. And then there's one final exhortation that's not really found in our passage but uh, it's found in Acts chapter one, and it's the need for power. It's the need for power. You see, after Jesus rose from the dead, he told the guys, hey, I need you to hang out in Jerusalem to wait for the promise from my father that you would be baptized with the Holy Spirit. You see, when you have the Holy Spirit come upon you, Jesus would say, then you'll be empowered to reach Jerusalem and Samaria and the uttermost parts of the world. You see, the guys had received the Holy Spirit inside of them in John chapter 20. On the day that Jesus rose from the dead, he showed up in the room where they were hiding and he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. And the Spirit came inside of them. But what Jesus is talking about in Acts chapter one is a completely different experience. It's not where the Spirit comes inside, it's where the Spirit comes upon and empowers you, gives you a passion for the world, a passion to reach the people in your life, gives you a heart that burns for them, that cares about their salvation, gives you courage to take that step of faith and pray for someone, and to, and to close your Bible, <laughs> and to invite them to church. See, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. You see, once those guys received the baptism and the empowering of the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter two, the very next thing we see is the apostle Peter standing on a rooftop, preaching to thousands of people courageously and without fear. You see, that's what we need. We need the power of the Holy Spirit that he would inspire us and energize us to reach the people in our community. Now, how do you receive the, the power and the baptism of the Spirit? It's simple. 
You just ask. Jesus told a, a, a parable about how, you know, when a kid goes to his dad and if he asks for a piece of bread, is Pops going to give him a stone? Or if the kid asks for a piece of fish, is Pops going to give him a serpent? I don't think so. Jesus said, if you being evil know how to give good gifts to your kids, how much more will the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? And so I would encourage you to ask the Father to fill you and to baptize you with the power of his Holy Spirit. You see, God doesn't want you to miss out on miracles. He wants to show up and he wants to show off in your life today. And the greatest miracle that God can bring into your life is this, the miracle of making you someone who brings miracles into the lives of others. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we just wanna thank you for our time today in your word. We love your word. We love the Bible. We love everything about Christianity and, and Jesus. We just love being Christians and we're just grateful that you meet with us, that you minister to us through the worship, through the fellowship, through the word. Thank you, God. I pray that you would stir us up, Lord, to apply your word into our life. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, you guys can stand for the closing song. You have been listening to The Rock Podcast. Our regular services are held on Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. and Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you would like to learn more, please visit our website at calvertherock.org.